little story time with Sean, okay? Story time. I was uh, officially kicked out of school at the age of 16. And before that, I was a pretty terrible student. Uh, I was very often not at school, but if I was ever truant and someone sent the police to come pick me up from my home and drag me to school, I would still try to find, uh, I would try to spend most of my day finding ways to be outside of the classroom. And I could get pretty creative in how I would accomplish this. Uh, One of the most shameful things that I ever did involved a blind student that I was kind of, sort of, not really friends with. On this particular day in school, the bell rang, letting me know that I was once again late for class. But as luck would have it, as the bell rang, I saw off in the distance there was my blind, kind of, sort of, but not really friend. So I walked up to him, I initiated a conversation, asked him what class he was going to, yada, 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 and then I walked with him from his locker to his classroom. Now when I finally got back to my classroom, the teacher was sitting there looking very unhappy with me, waiting for me to feed her whatever lie I was going to feed her about why I wasn't on time. Now as I began to tell her about how I was helping this very unfortunate blind student get from his locker to the next class, she looked pleasantly surprised surprised, also not entirely believing of my story. And she was right not to believe it, because it was a lie. Because the blind kid could actually get anywhere he wanted to go in the school. He knew the school like the back of his hand. He didn't need anyone's help. Now, in this story, which actually happened, I did something that we have probably all been guilty of at some point. I'm not talking about blind kids. I'm talking about the principal here. Namely, that I used something that seemed to be virtuous for my own selfish gain and advantage. Sometimes it's very obvious when we do this kind of things, this kind of thing. Other times it's not so obvious. Let me give you another obvious example. You know the house full of foster kids? You know there's 38 foster kids running around the house and it's very obvious that the parents don't care about any of these children. It's just kind of a way for them to get that government paycheck. The same kind of thing, using something that seems to be virtuous for your own selfish ends. Examples could be multiplied, but I think you get the point. Now, I'm going to say something that may surprise you this morning. It may shock you. I'm a, I'm a shock value preacher, okay? Brace yourselves. People use religion in the same way. Huh? Huh? I expect more of a gasp there. People use religion. Okay, maybe this will do it for you. People use the gospel in much the same way. Yeah. Wicked men and women use the gospel of Jesus Christ as a means to their own selfish and greedy ends. Whether that's whether they're pursuing money or power or fame or sensuality. There are churches right here in our city this very morning that are doing this very thing, supposed ministers of the gospel who do not know Jesus, who have not been known by Jesus, who will use the name of Jesus for their own personal, selfish, sinful gain. And it's not just ministers who do this. You know, politicians, we all know, proclaim Christ for the acquisition of political power, although we are slowly moving out of the age where we'll see that happen as much. Popular artists. This is a new phenomenon that began about five, six years ago, and it's just, 
I've, I've been blown away by how many popular artists are clinging to some strange aberration of Christianity in order to drive up their sales and popularity in a culture that embraces at least a particular brand of Christian faith. Whether that's of the Bible or not is for a different conversation. Now, all of this is what Paul is referring to in verse 3 when he talks about impurity. Go back to verse 3 with me. Paul says, for our appeal, and remember, that's his ambassadorial appeal, right? Repent, be reconciled to God, his gospel appeal. He says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity. Last week, we talked about error. This week, we're talking about impurity. And by the way, I think impurity and any attempt to deceive, I think those two things go hand in hand, okay? I think he's talking about the same. The impurity in the gospel is that he would try to use it to deceive you. He would corrupt it. Now, in this morning's text, Paul is saying that he doesn't preach from a motive of impurity, right? He's not using the gospel for his own sinful purposes. Now, let's be sure that we know what he means here when, he's, when he uses this word impurity. Because maybe he just has like one thing in mind, right? Maybe he's just thinking about sexual immorality. You know, he's saying, I'm not preaching the gospel in order to, you know, to, be a, to, to kind of take advantage of people in this way, which was common in that day and it's common in our own day. Or maybe he's talking about greed and financial gain. You know, maybe he's saying like, hey, I'm not a peddler of God's word. I'm not trying to use the gospel to get rich. Maybe that's the kind of impurity he's addressing. Well, I think that none of those is probably exactly right. I think what you see here is Paul is basically addressing any and every kind of impurity. I think the word impurity that Paul uses here, it refers to a whole host of sinful desires from sexual immorality to greed to gluttony to you name it, right? It's kind of a junk drawer word that refers to any kind of desire that flows out of our sinful flesh. So you can see this in the way that Paul uses this word in the book of Ephesians where he talks about the unconverted man. He says this, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Do you see that? It, the examples could be multiplied, probably infinitely. Our sins are so grotesque and creative that they could be multiplied. So Paul doesn't address one thing or two things or five things. He's, he's every kind of impurity that you can imagine, that's what they're pursuing. They're greedy, eager to practice it. So I think this morning in this text, Paul is generally addressing the motivations of his heart. He's saying, when I preach the gospel, I'm not doing it for these impure reasons. And you can, you can see this, this motivation of the heart language again if you look at the end of verse 4, right? He says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. See, that's what Paul is addressing in this morning's text. What is going on in my heart as I preach this gospel to you, the Thessalonians? Now, the main point of this morning's sermon is this. The spirit-empowered leader, now if you're a visitor, you may not, you're like, where's leadership coming? Where's the spirit coming from? We understand all of this ultimately to be rooted back to something that Paul says in chapter 1 and verse 5 about the power of the spirit. And we understand that what we're talking about this morning is just continuing that theme. So, having said that, the spirit-empowered leader preaches the gospel with pure motives. 
That's the point of this morning's sermon. Now, when I say pure motives, you may be thinking, well, Sean, nobody has completely pure motives. And I would say, yeah, I, I understand. I'm speaking generally here. In the same way that there's no one righteous, no, not one. That's what Romans tells us, right? Absolutely, perfectly righteous before God's eyes. We also know that the Bible calls Job, for example, a righteous man. That doesn't mean that Job was perfect and perfectly righteous in God's eyes. It means that he was upright. I think the same thing is true for this pure motive idea that Paul is communicating here. He's not saying that every one of his motives is always completely pure. I just think he's saying, generally speaking, I'm preaching the gospel from pure motives. Now, in making his case, Paul lays out four different examples of preaching the gospel from impure or false motives. He talks about preaching the gospel for the approval of man. He talks about preaching the gospel for greedy gain. He talks about preaching the gospel for glory. And he talks about preaching the gospel for power, right? You can see that, that last one, power in verse 7. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, right? He's trying to say we weren't forceful with you. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But for this morning's sermon, we're only going to explore this first aspect that Paul addresses with, uh, excuse me, that Paul addresses preaching the gospel for the approval of man. Okay, so let me pray, and then we'll dive into the meat of the sermon. Father, I pray that even now uh, you would prevent me from having impure motives as I preach the gospel. Help me to keep my eyes on you. Amen. Uh, I don't watch the Oscars. I I mean, like, I, I don't ever want to watch the Oscars or really any award show. But there's a number of reasons, I think each one better than the next, for why I don't watch the Oscars. But one of the main reasons why is the acceptance speeches. They're usually awkward, they're often political, and uh, exceedingly boring, okay? But one Oscar speech will go down in history for how revealing it was. The actress Sally Fields has won three Oscars in her career. She's won two for Best Actress and one for Best Supporting Actress. Now, upon winning her second Best Actress Oscar in 1985, 1985, Fields flew to the microphone in a state of ecstasy, and she shouted these words. This is my best Sally Fields impersonation. I'm just going to go with it. I haven't had an orthodox career, and I've wanted more than anything to have your respect. The first time, that's the first Oscar she won, I didn't feel it. But this time, I feel it, and I can't deny the fact that you like me. You really like me. How'd I do? Hey, I don't need your approval. Okay. Now, Fields was drunk on dopamine and adrenaline, and because of that, her social inhibitions were just totally lowered, and she got up there in front of God and everybody and said what most of us would never say out loud. I want people to like me. A big part of my life is wrapped up with wanting people to like. My life's work now finds its satisfaction in the fact that I feel like people like me. Wanting to be liked is one of the major factors in most of our life decisions, big or small. Friends, I worry about the day in America where we may face persecution. I'm not worried about, you know, being boiled in oil or you know, burned at the stake, most of us will just give up on Jesus because we feel like people don't like us. 
ultimately what we want most in life is to be approved of, right? That's why daughters love it when their daddy tells them that they're smart and beautiful. And that's why you see what can happen to them if they don't have a daddy around who tells them that they're smart and beautiful. This is why sons love it when they get an attaboy. Wanting to be approved of is a deep, deep desire that all of us have. And it is not inherently sinful. It's not bad. We were made to be approved of by our creator. Do you remember when God was going through the works of creation? As he created everything, he stood back like an artist in Genesis 1. And he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. Right? He's approving of his own handiwork. And then as he created man, he steps back and he says one thing different. He says, it's very good. So when God created me and you, he created us to be approved of. But because of sin, this desire very often leads us down a path of destruction. Why? Well, I think the answer is right here in this morning's text. Look back at verse 4 with me. Paul says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. You see that? Paul says, hey, I know I've been approved of by God. And he's talking partly as an apostle. But remember, the same commission that Paul has, we have in a different way. The same approval that Paul had, we have in a different way. And Paul is saying, listen, I've been approved of by God, and therefore I don't need anyone else's approval. And the reason why we are so desperate for other people's approval is because sin has ruptured our relationship with God, and we don't have his approval. More on that later. Now, Paul says in verse 5 that because he has God's approval and because he doesn't need anyone else's approval, he doesn't employ speech tactics like flattery. All right, look at verse 5. He says, We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. We're going to talk about greed next week. Now, I just want to ask you, friends, if you can, you know, by way of deduction, understand that from what Paul says here, flattery is a sin. Can you see that? This shouldn't, excuse me, this shouldn't surprise us, since we know that Paul knew his Bible very well, and we know what the Bible has to say about flattery, don't we? Yes, we know, Sean, yes, we read our Bibles, we do. Well, just in case you don't know, let's just do a quick run-through. Cohen, can you go ahead, buddy, and just pull up some scriptures on the screen? Let's just start in the book of Job and work our way through. I'm just going to read. You follow along. Job says, I will not show partiality to any man or use flattery towards any person, for I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. Psalm 5.9, for there is no truth in their mouth, their inmost self is destruction, their throat is an open grave, they flatter with their tongue. Psalm 12.2-3, everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips in a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Psalm 78.36, but they flattered him with their mouths, they lied to him with their tongues. Proverbs 26, 28, a flattering mouth works ruin, right? You know that the root is bad because the shoot is bad. Proverbs 29, 5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Ezekiel 12, 24, for there shall be 
No, there shall be no more any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. You know that flattering divination, right? It's, here's what God told me to tell you, and it's always the good thing so that the, the prophet can get what he wants. Daniel 11.21, In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. That's how you know he's false. Romans 16.18, last one here from the New Testament. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. When we think about sinful speech, we tend to think about four-letter words. We tend to think about, you know, categories like lying, but we don't have much room for, for nuanced kind of sinful speech like flattery. But friends, flattery is a sin. It's not morally neutral speech. When you say, hey girl, I like that dress, even if you don't like that dress, just because you want that girl to like you, that's wrong. Ladies, I'm sorry, there's, I'm sure there's other examples that guys can use. That's just the one that came off the top of my head. Not that you would ever do that. Not that any woman would ever say to another woman that they like their outfit when they don't really like their outfit. That would never happen. I'm dying up here. Well, because flattery is deception, uh, it is deception. It is lying. It's, it's also just greed in disguise, Right? It's greed disguising itself as a compliment or an encouragement. Now, when I say greed, I don't just mean money. The Bible uses greed to kind of talk about all of our our kind of ravenous, inward, sinful desires, right? So you can be greedy for money, or you can be greedy for favor or power or approval, right? Like in this morning's text. Let me give you the dictionary definition of flattery. It is excessive and or insincere praise given especially to further one's own interests. Flattery says, I'm going to give you something that makes you feel good so that you'll give me what I want. This is deception. It's free market emotional capitalism run amok. Even if what the flatterer is saying is true, if the flatterer says what they're saying, the truth that they're saying, with impure motives that are disingenuous and, disingenuous and selfish and sinful, Paul says that that's wrong. And he specifically says that this is what he doesn't do. That's what he says in verse 3, right? I don't come and preach the gospel with this kind of impurity, this kind of flattery impurity, where I'm going to use the gospel to get from you what I want. And flattery works so well because we want, oh so badly, to be approved of. That's why it works. We want to be liked. And we want everyone to believe the absolute best about us. We want people to feed us compliments. Doesn't matter if they're true or false. Doesn't matter. Just tell me good things about myself. It's been said before that flattery is like a counterfeit currency, which without our own vanity would have no room for circulation. Paul understood the vanity of your heart and mine. He knew just how powerful of a tool flattery could be. And he wanted to have no part of it. If he wanted approval for his ministry, if he wanted people to like him in his message, he knew that the easiest way to get them to like him in his message would be to flatter them. He knew it. If you don't believe me, just look at any number of prominent teachers with major platforms today. 
you know, go click on religious television or look at whoever the most popular internet preacher is and, and ask yourself what they traffic in. Is it truth and plain speech? Or is it something more like this? Now, on that note, I want to be careful not to be reductionistic about flattery. I think we would do well to remember that flattery isn't just about stroking our egos and making us feel good about superficial things. You know, oh girl, I love that dress, right? It's not just about that. That's, that's one layer of it, but there's a deeper, darker, uglier layer, particularly in gospel ministry, which is about making us feel comfortable in our sin making us feel like we are approved of by God even though we are not living in the way that God approves. The gospel preacher who flatters doesn't ultimately flatter us to make us okay with our body image or our finances or our intelligence. No, he flatters to make us feel okay with the state of our souls. And more often than not, they just don't even have to try very hard to do it. You know? The flatterer doesn't have to try hard to work his flattery with his audience. In 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul tells us why. It's because we want to be flattered. This is what Paul says will come in the church, and it had begun to happen in his own day. He says that people in the church have itching ears, so they accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own corrupt passions, right? That's, that's the exchange that's happening here. I don't want you to make me feel bad about myself or to make me feel uncomfortable about my relationship with God, so I'm going to gather you in as a teacher, and I'm only going to pay you to say things that make me feel okay with myself. We'll give you, our leader, we'll give you authority, We'll give you prestige. We'll give you job security. We'll give you money. And who knows what else? And you will teach us lies that make us feel okay with our sin. This is the most perverse and dangerous form of flattery. And it is pervasive in the church. And Paul says that he rejects it outright. If you read all of Paul's letters in the New Testament, you'll see that he feels compelled to constantly remind people in his church that he traffics in the opposite of flattery. Plain and sincere speech is what he traffics in. I'm just going to give you four examples from the book of 2 Corinthians just to show you what I'm talking about. Cohen, you want to pull them up, buddy? Yeah. So let's just start with 2 Corinthians 2.17. We are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom says, don't be sincere. Find a way, tweak the truth to try to get what you want. He says, we denounce that. 2 Corinthians 4.2, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Just plain speech. Just, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to try to decorate it. I'm not going to try to make it more palatable. I'm just going to give it to you. 
Oh, it's tough to be a baby. Second, my dad heart. Second Corinthians chapter six, verses four and five. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God. Remember what we learned last week, brothers and sisters. Paul sees himself as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And an ambassador just doesn't really care what any of the foreign dignitaries think about him. Right? An ambassador serving in a foreign country, I mean, listen, he doesn't want to be unnecessarily offensive. But at the end of the day, what the court jester thinks about him is kind of irrelevant. The only thing that the ambassador cares about is what the king who sent him thinks about him and his work. That's the only approval that he needs. Did the man who sent me to do my job think I did a good job? And friends, that is the only thing that you need to care about as you carry out your personal gospel ministry. One day, your master is going to call you home from your mission. And the only approval that you should care about is the approval of King Jesus. Don't worry about people who don't like you because you refuse to cut parts of the Bible out that's offensive to our modern age. Don't lose sleep over that. Don't, don't let people lead you down a path of compromise because you want to be approved of. Live your whole life with these six words in mind. You ready? Well done, good and faithful servant. Live your life to hear those six words from Jesus. They're the only words of approval that matter. If you know that you are already approved of by God through his son, because you are in his son, if you look forward to the day when you get to hear those six words and you won't give a rip what anybody has to say about how you live your life as a Christian, you're just going to continue to do the right thing from pure motives and you'll just trust God that he'll work it all out in the end. Who cares about what the servants of the court think about you when you have the love of the king. Now, do you remember my illustration? I thought my particularly well-acted illustration from the beginning of the sermon, the one with Sally Fields receiving the Oscar? Well, maybe you didn't recognize that quote. Maybe you still haven't recognized it, but maybe you didn't immediately recognize it because, uh, well, there's another actor who gave a similar speech uh, where he misquotes Sally Fields, and that's the version of the quote that you probably know. You see, there is a fantastic actor. His name is Jim Carrey. Are you familiar? Anybody? Great body of work. I suggest that you work through it. In the 90s, uh, Carrey starred in perhaps what is the greatest movie ever made, The Mask. And in The Mask, the main character, Stanley Ipkiss, he puts on this, this like hard wooden green mask thing, and whenever he puts it on, it glues to his face, and he turns into this cartoonish character, and he does all these kind of wild and crazy things. It was actually a groundbreaking movie where they tried to combine like cartoon stuff with real-life action stuff for the first time before the technology was really there. Now, at one point in the movie, he pretends as he is the mask, he pretends to receive an Oscar, and he goes up and he does his best Sally Fields impersonation. But instead of saying like, he says this. He says, you love me. You really love me. And that's the rendition of the Oscar speech that we all know. We don't know Sally Field's version. 
We know Jim Carrey in the mask in his version. Now, what's funny about that is Carrey's version is not an accurate rendition of what Sally Fields said, but I think it's a more accurate rendition of what Sally Fields felt. You see, ultimately, we don't just want to be liked. We want to be loved. That's what our desire to be approved of is all about. We want to be loved. And brothers and sisters, if you are here this morning and you are a Christian, I want to tell you that if you are in Christ, you are loved. You're loved more than you can possibly imagine. And what's so amazing about that is God doesn't love you because you're just this diamond in the rough. You're just this like amazing, beautiful person that like, how could anybody look at you and not love you? That's not the kind of love that God loves, loves you with. No, God loves you even though he knows every bad thing about you. All the stuff that even you keep hidden deep down in the dark recesses of your sinful heart, God sees even that. He knows you through and through. And instead of turning away from you, he turns to you through his son, Jesus Christ, and he says, I love you. On two separate occasions in Jesus' earthly ministry, the voice of our heavenly father was revealed from heaven. And, and this is what he said to Jesus in those moments. He said, this is my son. Right? As a dad, ugh, don't cry, Sean. As a dad, like I think about that, right? The father from heaven says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You see, friends, God can't say that to all of us. Because in our sin, we have rebelled against our Father. He's not pleased with us if we are still lost in our sins. But if you repent of your sins, and if you trust in Christ and freely receive his grace, well, then you're united to Christ. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Christ. He doesn't see your sin. He sees Christ's righteousness. He doesn't see all the stuff in you that makes you a bad son or a bad daughter. He only sees his son, the perfect spotless lamb. And he says, I see you, I love you, and I approve of you. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I just just have to ask you if you are not tired of living your life for the approval of others. I mean, it is exhausting. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up as a Christian. So I remember what it was like living for the approval of others. And it, I just, I'm just so glad I don't live that life anymore. It's just such a terrible burden to bear. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't care what nobody thinks about me. I don't need nobody's approval. Yeah, right. Of course you do. Of course you want to be approved of. Of course you want to be liked. Of course you want to be loved. And you know what? You pretending that you don't care what people think about you, you pretending that you don't want to be approved of is even more exhausting. So why don't you just let it go? Why don't you just stop? I mean, even if you do get all of the approval of man that you could ever want in this life, you will find that it is, it's just not that satisfying. And the reason why it's not satisfying is because you weren't designed for that. It's like putting 
uh, I don't know, ethanol in a car that's supposed to run on gasoline, you know? I mean, it, it can kind of do the same thing, but not really. You weren't designed to run on the approval of man. You were designed to run on the approval of God. So even if you do get all of the approval of man that you could possibly ever want in this life, you will still find out one day when you close your eyes that you will have gained the world and lost your soul. You will have gained some kind of approval here and now at the expense of the approval of your Father in heaven. And on that day, I promise you, you will not say that it was worth it. I know that the world would have us believe that God will just accept anyone and everyone into heaven, into his presence, except the really bad people, of course, like Hitler and stuff like that. But the Bible says that that's not true at all. The Bible says that there's only one way into the Father's presence, into the approval of God. And that's what we read in our call to worship this morning. Jesus is the way into the Father's presence. But the good news of the gospel is that this this approval of God is not something that he's hiding, keeping back secret over here that he doesn't want anyone else to have. The son is not keeping it like I got it and nobody else is going to get it. No, this gospel grace, this approval has been made available to literally anyone and everyone. It's been made available to the prostitute as well as the self-righteous pastor. It's been made available to the drug addict, the murderer, the rapist, the pedophile. This gospel call is open to racists and hippies and socialists and CEOs, Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and Mormons and Muslims and atheists and Catholic nuns and anyone else that you can think of. This gospel approval has been made available to them. And let me tell you the very best part of this good news. This is, I, feel like, I feel like I'm a, a salesman and I'm just like, every time you think I'm about, to, I'm about to be done hitting you with like all the good things that I have for you in the sale of this vehicle, I'm about to knock another 10% off. Let me tell you some more good news. Think about that young cheerleader and how she just wants to be accepted by the squad, right? Think about the rookie basketball player who wants the approval of his teammates or the new partner in the law firm who just wants so bad to be a part of the inner circle of the higher executives at the firm. Think about all that they have to do, all the requirements that they feel like they have to try and meet in order to be received by their peers and approved by them. Think about the child who spends their whole life just just desperately trying to get the approval of their parents, desperately working for their ultimate acceptance. Consider how oppressive that is. And now consider the gospel. There's no list of requirements You know, what's really tragic about a lot of this is that there is a list of requirements, but it's not known. That young cheerleader who wants to get in good with the senior cheerleaders, how does she do it? Well, there's a list in somebody's mind and the kind of collective conscience of the squad. Nobody really knows what it is. You just got to kind of feel it out. But with God, there is a list and it's so short and it's made very obvious to all of you. And the list is not even something that you can do on your own. It's repent and believe. Turn away from your sin and turn towards Jesus. And even that, your ability to repent and believe is empowered by God's grace. So friends, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I don't know why. Because what he has for you is so amazing and so good. It will be so satisfying for your soul. that I just want to encourage you to take him up on that offer right here and right now. And if you're here and you are a Christian... And maybe something about this sermon made some reality of the gospel click for you at another level. 
Well, praise God. Watch and see what happens with your life as a Christian when you realize that even as a Christian, you don't have to live for anyone's acceptance or approval because you've been approved of by God. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I hope that that's true of your experience in this church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've loved us. We pray that you'll love us more. We know that the promise of the gospel is, is that nothing can separate us from your love. No, no height, no depth, no ruler, no principality, no persecution, no suffering, no government, nothing can separate us. No army, not even our own sin with your Holy Spirit living in us, not even our own sin can conquer us and separate us from your love. And so we rejoice and we are happy as your children. Amen.